Hi everyone, welcome to the Sad Python Girls Club podcast. I am your host, Commander Lin. And I'm your co-host, Luciana. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Set Python Girls Club podcast. I am here with Kimadeline. Hello, Kimadeline. How are you doing? Hi, Luciana. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I am doing all right. Just got back from a trip to Brazil and kind of trying to recover from, vac- mm-hmm. you, know, you know, everyone needs vacation after vacation. I'm on that <laughs> state, but <laughs> enjoying summer for sure. <laughs> And today I'm very, very excited because we have a special guest, Jay Miller. Hello, Jay. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's it going? Great, great. Jay, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jay. Oh, my pronouns are they, them. I guess the tying connection here is I, I work at Microsoft with Kim Adeline and Luciana as well. I'm a cloud advocate for Python. I think we've had some other guests on the show, like Dr. Sarah Kaiser uh, as well. Uh, I'm on her team as well. And uh, I am the content web developer, script kitty, like fun having person on, on the team. I don't really know what my role is. <laughs> I would say you're nailing like all of these descriptions. So this is great. <laughs> I, I get to go to events and stuff and hang out with Luciana a lot, and we have we have a really fun time. One hundred percent. I think uh, fun. I think is the biggest aspect of the work uh, that we do, and I absolutely love it. I do recommend folks to check out a lot of the uh, content that Jay produces. We're going to link some here in the release notes of the episode. But yeah, sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, no, you you nailed it on the head. I I love that. I first learned about this show like the second day I had ever met Luciana, which was at PyCon 2022. And she mentioned, I'm doing this new podcast. Oh, yeah. I also do a lot of podcasts. Uh, I'm the co-host of Conduit on Relay FM, which is a show about productivity for people who don't get paid to talk about productivity. And um, I'm also one of the hosts of Python Community News, which is a show all about Python except for the parts that you can pip install. So we talk more about organizations and conference organizing and kind of what's happening in the the world of Python uh, in the news and things like that. Do you have a tip? What can you tell us about productivity from somebody who isn't getting paid to talk about productivity? Um, the, the best tip that I tell people is you beyond anyone else around you knows how you best work. So if someone is giving you advice that is just clearly not going to work, try steering into the skid, I guess, as, as you know, they would say on cars, if you're, if you're drifting, you don't try to completely turn the opposite direction. That's never going to work. Instead, look at what you're really good at and look at what you're not so great at and see if you can do more of the good stuff. Wait, I love that. And I love the perspective on it. I'm like so many thoughts right now, but anyway, one thing I wanted to ask you was how did you get started with Python in the first place? Cause I know when I uh, was at PyCon, I first met you, I was like, Oh cool, Jay, right? Like this personality on Twitter and everyone knows you. And I know you're like, no, I'm not famous. I'm like everyone knows you here today. So <laughs> I wanted to know, like, how did you, how did your involvement in the Python community started? What was your first hands on experience with Python really? 
Um, I was a terrible employee and I wanted to automate myself out of a job. And I was like, I need to learn how to write some type of programming language. And I started with JavaScript and that I wasn't a big fan. Um, I'm a little bit more of a fan now, still not the biggest one, but uh, then switched over to Ruby and the communities were kind of not fun. And I was like, all right, I got to try something different. So I tried Python and there was the San Diego Python user group. I live in San Diego now. And when I went to that first user group, like I had no idea what I was doing. And I was working on this little like script and I ran into like some super amazing people who later I would find out are like absolute legends in the Python space. Trey Hunter, um, Melanie Arbor, who I did a keynote with last year, and then Carol Willing. And instead of making me feel like I was a beginner that didn't know anything, they just genuinely took interest in the project, you know, that I was trying to do and offered like compassionate guidance on like, hey, you know, this is awesome. You might run into a, a space here, but this is how you would kind of work around that. And, you know, what you're doing is really cool. Keep it up instead of like, oh, your code's so unpythonic and it's garbage and no one should ever, you know, that that kind of whole mentality. So at that point, I was like hooked on the community. Um, as Brett Cannon would say, I, I stayed for the community. And from there, I just kept with it. I I didn't, I wasn't a quote unquote professional developer until like six years later. Um, I just kept automating stuff of, from my job and then taking the time that I was saving to watch more Python YouTube videos of like conferences and stuff. <laughs> And walking around until one day I was like, I'm going to get fired if I keep doing this. So then I started looking for jobs. Yeah, that's one way to do it. I appreciate your your persistence. I did have a question about the beginning of your beginner story, I guess. So you said you reached out to the San Diego user group, right? I just saw them on Meetup and was like, I'm going to go check this out. And then just showed up one day and, you know, they were in this co-working space and they had like a section for beginners and then like a section for people who are working on projects already. And I like already had Python and stuff installed. So I went to hang out with the cool kids. And, um, and then afterwards, I volunteered to go help the beginners. So I kind of got to meet everybody there. That's cool. I think that you get to give back to the community that took you in. So I really, I really like it. I'm I'm now an organizer for oh, wow. uh, San Diego Python. I'm one of the organizers. So um, yeah, I've been hanging out there. It's been, I think, seven or eight years now that I've been, you know, helping with them. And, you know, of course, everybody has, you know, periods of time where life gets in the way. I had a kid at some point and then uh, I got diagnosed with, you know, an autoimmune issue and a heart condition. And um, when all that stuff started happening, obviously Python had to take a side, you know, a backseat mm -hmm. to health and things like that. But uh, once I got healthy, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's get back into it and let's hit the community, you know, harder than ever. Did you find that the landscape changed for all the time you've been Python? Like, is there a new, like, different trends that you can see, new types of beginners around? Or is it always the same questions that come back? I think that there's, you know, I tell people there there are two Python communities that that I think people are, and people like to think like the data science and like everyone else, but not not even there. You have people who are like, I use Python in my day job, and I do not care beyond that, and and that's perfectly fine. I am one hundred percent like 
if it's a job, it's a job. If it's a lifestyle, then, you know, people might look at you weird, but you know, that's, that's cool too. Um, I just happen to be one of the people that gets looked at weird. And the other side is kind of the people who are very in tune with, you know, what's going on with like the Python software foundation level, all the different conferences, what's happening internally with Python. And I think that the community that is just kind of like, this is a job, they change basically with the trends. So when Web3 was a big deal, you know, a few years back, you know, we saw more conversations about that in that space. Um, obviously for college students, you know, Python's being taught in college now a little bit more. And it used to just be like ArcGIS students. And now it's more just general computer science students that would come to like the meetups and be like, I have a final in like two weeks, please help me. And I'm, you know, that's fun too. But um, the other part of the community that gets super engaged in, in hearing what's going on, um, I think that they're doing a lot of work to kind of be, be more inclusive, think about more than just what's happening in the Bay Area, what's happening in New York. Um, we've seen massive organizations and, and growth, especially in like um, in Africa and parts of, of South America. Uh, Luciana, you mentioned getting back from Brazil, like... I love the Brazilian developer community. Um, ever since I've been working in tech, I I always tell my my folks who who live in like Sao Paulo or Rio or Recife, like like Abragado, ab absolutely, like thank you for all the work that they put in. Um, they're absolutely amazing. So I think the community has shifted. The people who are more engaged those those communities are starting to grow in areas that weren't initially there when I started, but I'm super excited to see that happening. And I want to be one of those people that helps them continue moving in that direction. I love this all so much, uh, especially the shout out to the Brazilian community. Love them as well. I always admire the work that you do. But I, I really like what you say about these two communities, right? Because I feel like we see that a lot when we go to PyCon. Uh, I think even Brett Cannon says that, that he realized how big Python got when he started to talk to people in conferences that were like, I did not want to be here, but I have to be here because my employer needs me to be here to learn more about Python because I use Python day to day, right? Uh, and I feel like, that's more the first community of people who use Python, but not really like on the community of like people who are more engaged in learning what BSF is doing and all this stuff, right? The one thing I was going to say about that is that I, more and more I start to see folks who are there in that first community, like I use Python, I like it, whatever, but I'm not as engaged. And then when they go to these conferences, they open, you know, they, they open their eyes to this amazing second community of people who uh, are very engaged. And I feel like we always see these faces constantly when you go to conferences. So you start creating that bond. And then a lot of people start seeing what Brett says, right? Like came for the language, stayed for the community. Uh, my question for you is, what, what do you think are things that we can do to uh, help folks uh, from the, that first community of, I use Python, this is nice, but... Uh, what, what can we do to get them from this to our amazing Python community that is this, I, honestly, it's one of the most inclusive communities I've ever got to experience. So, yeah. I think, um, and my experience is going to come from just me, someone who was a military veteran, a college dropout, 
who did not have a CS degree, no educational, like higher educational background, and then found my way into the community. I often feel like one of the biggest barriers is how educationally structured conferences and communities tend to be. Like when you think about the CFP process, I've only heard of calls for anything in like business where you have like an offer bid project contract thing that you know people can do their their CFP for, oh, you should go with our company because we'll give you this much money. And then you have like the education side where you do call for, and like CFP stands for, I think it originally said for call for papers, which were like, here is my scientific paper that I wrote, allow me to get up on stage and basically not read it out loud, but like talk about this paper that I wrote. So the problem with that is when you are so structured in that way, there are so many people who are not from those backgrounds. Python is the most diverse in skill set and like discipline usage language in the world. So you have, and, and I interviewed Brett Cannon about this and, you know, he said, you know, similar instances of like, he used to say, oh, wow, Python, a thing with snakes. And now it's like, oh, Python, I use that for work and I'm a dentist or I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm this, this really weird role that you would never think Python gets used in. And because of that, I think what gets lost are the people that are still leading these discussions and still kind of guiding the community are often not from those far out spaces. They're from the traditional backgrounds. So I think the best way to approach that is to do kind of like Brett is stepping down from the steering council. Um, Jeff Triplett, who's been on the PSF board for five years, is stepping down as well. And, and they're wonderful people, and I would love for them to be on it forever because they're amazing and they're my friends and I love them so much. But at the same time, they understand they have to make room for new ways of thinking, new ideas, new backgrounds of people so that we can continue serving and, and growing outwards instead of you know reinforcing the same things that happen um, in all of the other programming languages, because they're all basically all from the same colleges and universities and systems and, and ideologies. Yeah, I, I love that. One of the many things that I actually admire a lot about your work day, uh, and it's something that I got to experience actually the day that I met you, is how you're really focused on increasing the representation of Black folks and people of color. And I remember the day that I met you, you were talking about uh, things that conferences can do to improve exactly what you're saying around the process of encouraging folks to submit more talk proposals from having different backgrounds, not having that structured academic background that a lot of folks end up having in that community. I, it's been a year since the last time we talked about it. I wanted to see if there were like new ideas or new, new projects that you've seen happening around that and efforts that conferences have been putting to make that process easier for folks who are not not coming with that traditional background. I think when I when I originally, you know, actually, yeah, the the first time we met is so PyCon twenty twenty two. The the thing that bothered me was I had spoken at a lot of conferences in the past and. At every conference that I go to, I do this thing where I look and see how many other like for those that don't know, you can't tell by my voice. Sorry, I apparently code switch 
without thinking about it. Um, I'm black. So like if we're talking about this, I like I'm I'm a black male. Um but I try to find other black men uh, and women and period, uh, black people in general at these conferences. And they're often one, two, like no more than five. And these are like smaller conferences. So these are where there's like 100, 200, 300 people. And you have like one person or, or three people. And the problem is those three people are always the same people and they're always speaking. So at first I was like, okay, this is interesting because we we talk about presenting these opportunities of diversity and being a diverse community. And it's like, sure, you got the same three black people speaking at every single conference. And that's how we represent diversity. And I'm not, not saying that that's the goal, but that's kind of the reality. Um, like if you look at who are all the black keynote speakers, I can name all three of them and I work with one of them. Um, and I am one of those three, apparently. So the the problem with that is even when you see on a YouTube video, oh, there's diversity and, and things like that. When you get there, it feels very different. And last year was my first year at PyCon, PyCon US. I wanted to go before the pandemic happened and stuff, but never got to it. And that's the largest gathering of Python developers on the planet. I mean, you're talking about from conferences of, you know, 200 people to PyCon, which that year had 2,500 people at it. And I was able to count every single black person like at PyCon. There were 12, I believe, 12 or 13 of us. And everyone that was there except for like three people were working. And to me, I was like, that's messed up. Like, we need to do better than this. Um, we can do better than this. Uh, so I I did two things. One, I got more involved with what was happening with the PSF, you know, the Python Software Foundation that puts on PyCon US um, and asked them directly. And, you know, I understand they're a global organization. They have global concerns that they have to think about. And so they weren't really necessarily equipped to help directly in kind of the US side of things. And then the other thing that I did was I started talking with the people that were at the events and you know I was like, "Hey, why are you giving a lightning talk or have you did you submit a talk to a reason to speak at PyCon or whatever?" And they basically said, "No, but why would I? What's the benefit of doing that?" And I was I'm a developer advocate because the first conference I went to, a developer advocate sat down with me and said, you seem like you would make a great developer advocate. Let's talk about it. So I saw the benefit of speaking. It got me my first tech job. So in my mind, when when I hear that like, oh, not only are you know Black folks in general just not wanting to attend these events because it doesn't represent them in any way, it also doesn't they don't feel like there's any benefit to representing the community. So I was like, okay, we got to fix that. And again, shout out to the folks that are in like Africa doing a ton of work, you know, between PyLadies, like all the PyLadies, uh, Africa sections, um, many of their leadership there is absolutely amazing. Joanna, Marlene, uh, Mezjan um, I know I'm forgetting people, so I'm sorry. Uh, they do a wonderful job, and I, I want to emphasize them since this is the Sad Python Girls podcast. Um, those are all amazing Black women in tech doing super awesome stuff. And I was like, okay, I need to learn from them and just 
help encourage people that look like me to, to get up on on stage and talk. Uh, and I think it worked. You know, I, I convinced one person to give a lightning talk last year. They gave their lightning talk and they were like, that was absolutely enthralling. And I, I want to do it again. And then they got a talk accepted at PyCon this past year. So I was like one of their biggest cheerleaders and helping, you know, helping encourage them to, you know, hey, you did that thing. You've spoken at events. You've gotten, you've gotten plugged into the community and now you're more involved. Like, how does it feel? And he's like, it feels great. Like, I want to keep doing this. So um, now we're taking that and kind of moving it to the next stage where um, at PyCon this year, we launched the Black Python Discord or the Black Python Developers Discord. Um, right now it's invite only, mostly because we're still trying to get a lot of structure involved, but it is designed to be a space where everyone that is a professional looks like you, you know, it, it, it's a place where you feel like you belong and you can hear from people who are like, yeah, giving conference talks helped me land my first job. Here's how you negotiate a salary, which is something that the black community has historically always been told not to do. Just be glad you got a job. So like we're able to actually start not only encouraging the community to get more involved, but also share that knowledge, share that information and share those benefits of what it means to actually be a community on, on a, you know, national and international scale. That makes sense. And thank you. Thank you so much for your efforts and your efforts in, in Africa. You mentioned I already, I cannot quote all the names you, you mentioned before, but I also recognize that that's a lot of work. What drives you, I guess, when, when you see someone succeed, does it like motivate you to do more or was Is there anything else to it? I think for me, the, it definitely motivates me. Um, when I was in the military, like my favorite part, my favorite time of being in the military was being uh, what's called a non-commissioned officer. Um, and I was in a unit where we did a lot of training. Like we would, like people would come in, we would train them for like two weeks and then we would deploy with them for like months and then they would leave and then a new group would come in. And I did that for three years And I always loved seeing people that I trained get promoted, get awarded, you know, go and lead their own teams and, and do things like that. Like it always like I, I quickly learned that I can only do what I know how to do. Um, again, I don't have a CS background. I don't think about big O notation. I suck at technical interviews, um, but I'm relatively good getting on a microphone or getting in front of a camera and having an authentic conversation with someone and just maybe giving them that little push to try to, to go outside of their comfort zone just a little bit and do a thing and seeing them, you know, trust me enough to take, you know, the little bit of advice or encouragement that I give them and, and go beyond that and do something truly phenomenal is like the biggest thing for me. And like, I, I tell everybody that I talk with, I will always be your biggest cheerleader. I will always be your biggest fan because it, it can't just be me. It can't just be me and the, like the three other like black people that always speak mm -hmm. at these conferences. And if it is always just us, it'll never grow. So if I can watch other people like go, yeah, you should totally do this because it worked for me. Then that that's what makes me push you know there's a there's a quote from a friend of mine who's a, a recording artist in california and and 
you know, he says, if I can reach just one, you know, and obviously we, we know the whole multiplication thing. If that one reaches one, then you have two, those two reach two, four, and then you have that exponential growth. But, but thinking about it of just the, the mindset of, if I can just help one person at a time, then we can, we can change a lot of stuff, but you have to put all of your time and energy in, in that moment on just that one person. Absolutely. Whenever you're helping people get over that hurdle to when you're helping them get to, to the moment to when they get on stage, what's the general blocker that you see being an obstacle for people? Are they worried of being on stage? Is it the, the whole benefits topic that you mentioned earlier? Is it something else? I think the biggest thing is a lot of people just don't feel like they have translatable skills, which I absolutely disagree. Um, at, at some point, I don't, the joke is I don't read books. Uh, I'm terrible about reading books, but I've always had this idea of a book called like, like developer advocacy for black folks. And it was like looking at being black in America, if, if I can get on that somewhat political polarizing side of things comes with a lot of thought like you have to be constantly thinking about how your actions are going to like, what are the consequences of doing that thing? Um, I used to live an hour from where Maude Arbery was killed for literally going for a jog. And I think about that, but I also think about how to lighten the conversation. I think about how the things that I learned to do, the way that I learned to navigate areas in which I didn't necessarily belong in because it was a certain street or a certain neighborhood, I learned how to translate that into going into a conference, even though I didn't feel like I fit in. The way that I learned how to talk to people that, you know, the way that I'm speaking now versus the way I would speak back home or the way I would speak with family or, you know, with, with people that I grew up with would be very different. But that helps me to convey information in different ways and different styles. So whenever I get on a podcast, I put on my best NPR voice. And then whenever I do a conference, I think about that of like, okay, who is my audience? Who am I talking to? And what am I trying to accomplish here? What am I trying to get across? So if I can think about that and think about how I navigate those waters, then I'm able to more effectively communicate what I'm trying to communicate because I'm not talking to a bunch of people that who honestly don't know what I like. They came to hear me talk about the thing. So I'm going to try to best communicate that the way that I can, but do it in a way that not just those people will get, but people down the road on YouTube might get later. And just having that, that forethought and having those skills that came organically, like I, I tell people black culture is American culture. So if you can bring a little bit of your culture, your style, and bring that into your talks, it will naturally be more responsive to a larger audience because the way that you drive community is already the popular way of doing things. So why go, why do something different? I love this perspective so much and I find it so inspiring because it's like people already have the skills, right? It's just really about being there, inspiring others, and kind of believing yourself as well. 
I so much appreciate all the work that you do, Jay, all the work that uh, all the folks that I got to meet at Python as well uh, from Africa. And also there's also the, uh, the group Afro Python from Brazil. So, so we're talking about the Brazilian community, all the work that you're all doing uh, is incredibly important, not only for the Python community, but to the tech world in general. And I am very honored that I get to, to work with you and see the work they're all doing. And I wanted to know from you, like, what are the things that someone like myself or other folks who are not necessarily part of the Black community, but are uh, wanting to be more, more of allies, what are the things that you would like us to do more of? Uh, well, first of all, shout out to Felipe for from AfroPython. I am doing my best to figure out how I can, you know, go visit and like Santiago and learn like what he's learned from what he's doing and what that community down there is doing and bring that back uh, to the U.S. and, and you know, emulate some of those same things. But uh, how how can people who are not or I guess how can people work to to be good allies? I think allyship is kind of the, the phrase that people use there. <laughs> Funny enough, I tell people like Vanilla Ice, stop, collaborate and listen like that's kind of the easiest way to do it. Like if you're if you're doing something, stop and think about how it's going to affect folks that don't look like you, that don't have your same walk of life. Um, I feel like so many brands would not get in trouble on the internet if they just did that for a second. Collaborate, like figure out how you can get more representation from people working on things other than just talks about being black in tech. I absolutely love it when I get to see, you know, amazing presenters talk about the things that they're passionate about and not just be you know, the token diversity conversation at the event. Save that for me. I'm good at doing that. Y'all talk about the stuff that you're really good at. Like, I, I want to see that. Uh, and then listen, when when someone says something from their experience, it's it's they're already struggling many times to say it. Um, again, we're constantly thinking about if we say something, is it going to get us fired? That was one of my actual questions that I had for... Uh, my team when when I was going through the interview process was like, how much can I say before I get a, a, a nasty email from somebody? Um, because again, I've, I've done talks around police brutality. I've done talks around um, government information that's publicly available for people around police profiling and things like that. One of my favorite talks was on stop and frisk laws in Seattle. Um, and visualizing what this data looks like and, and approaching things like social justice and civics and racism in America from a purely Pythonic standpoint. And some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it when I get up on stage, but that's okay. But when we talk about these things, when we present them in talks, like there are certain conferences I won't go to because of where they are. And that's a problem. Because if people are still willing to have events in those spaces, what it tells me is that they don't care about people that look like me. So when people are like, hey, you know, I'm I'm black and this area isn't really safe for us. Or, you know, there's a lot of historical baggage that comes with choosing this location. Or, you know, for someone who is trans in a place now where trans healthcare isn't accessible for everyone, like... I understand you some things you can't fix, but do what you can and and try to do your best to 
make those people feel as welcome as possible. This is all very inspiring, Jay. I really want to appreciate you sharing all your thoughts, ideas. Uh, this is like being so inspiring, yet it's giving me so many more thoughts and actually uh, ideas of things that I can do myself to be a better person, honestly. But you did mention Vanilla Ice, uh, which reminded me of this talk that you said you had coming up uh, using Python and linking to hip hop. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I don't know if it's been accepted at any conferences yet, but I do have it submitted in a couple of places. I'm just in love with this talk idea. Um, many people don't realize that Python, the programming language, like has a lot of shared like years of importance with the growth and like rise of hip hop as a culture. Um, and I absolutely love music. I've been looking forward to being on the show to talk about like the sad music that. I also like. Um, so yeah, I, I had this idea of like the parallels of Python and hip hop because the growth and the popularity of both came around the same time, but also grew for the some of the same reasons, the same reasons that Python reached a, kind of across the aisle into different, you know, technologies and different spaces um, to kind of be that language that everyone reached for is kind of the same way that, you know, their country rap songs and, you know, modern pop these days have a very hip hop feel to them. And it kind of extends beyond just music into things like clothing and um, popular culture and TV and media and, and, and so many other areas, even in, in like American English, like we take a lot of words that came from hip hop and from hip hop culture and from kind of the areas that grew that space. So I kind of wanted to look at both, you know, what could the Python community learn from hip hop as not just the music styling, but also as the culture and um, mindset, lifestyle and things like that, that maybe could make Python and, and speaking at Python conferences and teaching Python more accessible to a larger community. This is fantastic. I love the analogy and I am so much looking forward to watching this talk, uh, whatever conference uh, accepts it and whatever you're planning to speak it. But speaking of hip hop and you did reference, you do have some sad songs that you love. What is your favorite sad song that you'd like to bring to uh, our episode today? It changes. So we we grew up around. I think we're around the same age. So uh, one of my one of the songs that just I constantly remember is "Face Down" by Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Absolute like I I love so much music. I actually play guitar and stuff. So like I kind of grew up listening to like everything. But uh, "Face Down" is kind of this this like story of someone going through abuse and someone seeing it, you know, someone observing that this person is going through this and, and really calling people out and calling that person out. And I, I, I like that makes me, you know, that gives me a sense of kind of like, yeah, we should call bad things out. But then when I get super emo and in my own little space, I have to listen to thinking about you by, um, why did oh, it, it completely left my mind now? Oh my goodness. Frank Ocean. Yeah. By Frank Ocean. Um, my sister who is like 15 years younger than me 
we sing that song together and it just it it's such a mood and i love it so yeah face down if i'm in my own little like rage cage of of emotions but then if i'm if i'm feeling extra sad uh thinking about you by frank ocean and what is your favorite ice cream flavor uh, as you're listening to your different two songs for different moods <laughs> i'm a big peanut butter fan so anything that includes peanut butter is absolutely amazing um can i just can i shameless plug places that have the best ice cream go for it Okay, so San Diego, there there are two places that I absolutely love that are local spots. Um, if you're not from here, you probably would never even find them. One is Anne's Dry Cleaning. Yes, Anne's Dry Cleaning is a gelato place that was built out of a renovated dry cleaners. So they just kept the theme and they have like artisan style gelatos that are absolutely amazing. I know everybody loves pistachio. They do have a pistachio flavor. Um, and they have a, they just opened up a second shop that was out of an old hat shop called Anne's Haberdashery, which is so awesome. Um, and then the other one is North Park Creamers, uh, which is a soft serve, uh, ice cream shop. So everything is out of like the soft serve machines at McDonald's. It's always broken. And they have like super awesome, amazing flavors. My favorite one from them is there's like, you can mix them. So I usually do like peanut butter fruit loops and everything there is gluten-free and I'm a gluten-free person. So that's nice. They also have like cookie dough and things like that that are also gluten-free. So shout out to them for doing an awesome job and making stuff that I can eat that tastes amazing. I love that. Now I have a lot of uh, places to visit when I go to San Diego next time. So I do appreciate that. Absolutely. I'll go with you. <laughs> Always excited. Perfect. I, love, I love the San Diego food scene. It's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jay, for being our guest today. All the amazing insights you brought to us. And thank you again, Kimadeline, for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Lucina, for having me. Thank you, Jay, for being with us today. Thank you. That's it for today's episode for the Set Python Girls Club podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.